This week we are joined by Alex Danger, who currently resides in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Alex grew up in a hospitality-oriented family in Malmo, Sweden, and always spent time in kitchens and dining rooms from an early age. We talked with Alex about his love of being a good host, working in the arts and culture sector, monetizing his presence on Instagram, and his admiration for agave spirits and rum. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. With me, Dan Soretta. How's it going, Dan? Yeah, hey, uh, wonderful. Thanks. And uh, how about yourself? How's it going with you? Oh, same old shit. Just a different week. We've been as the recording of this. We're in November twenty second. Is that what the date is? Twenty uh, third. Oh, that's close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been red zoned here in Ontario, so that's that means right. uh, now not only do I have to do last call at nine, but there's only ten people allowed at my bar at any time. Yes, uh, situations changed since our last recording when yeah. uh, hospitalizations were pretty low. Apparently, they quadrupled. Yeah, <laughs> in the span of a week. We, we got one. We got one week Oof. to get used to Orange Zone before they put us right into the yeah, red zone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Apparently, there's some rent subsidies coming our way, so hopefully that will help. Well, but uh, our premier, our exalted premier, Lord Ford, yeah. <laughs> has some good plans because he's. Flying by the seat of his pants. More closings are in our more uh, restaurants and bars closing in Kitchener-Waterloo area, which sucks. Uh, yeah, it's a bad time for the service industry. But what are you going to do? All we can do is complain about it weekly on this fucking podcast. So if you enjoy listening to me bitch about the government on this podcast, then the best thing you can do to support it is to uh, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us out a lot. I mean, let's face it: you're already sitting there. You got your phone out. You're listening to the podcast. Just Reach forward and press that button. Mm-hmm. Subscribe. It's so easy. Um, in addition, uh, a big shout out as always to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design for all the great artwork. That's Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H. And um, if you'd like to be a guest on this show, you can also DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. That's the easiest way to get that done. And I think that's pretty much all the housekeeping that needs to get cleaned up here before we bring in our guests for you. All the way from Rotterdam, we have Alex Danger. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing pretty good, considering the circumstances. Yeah, everyone has to say that as a qualifier. It's like, yeah, pretty good, <laughs> yeah, exactly. dot, 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 considering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, what is the uh, situation for you guys in Rotterdam right now? You guys have a lot of cases? Are you in lockdown? Is anyone able to work right now? I think uh, our uh, second uh, when my second wave peaked uh, a couple of years ago or a couple of weeks ago and then we went into the second complete lockdown where all the bars uh, and restaurants have closed. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah, hasn't been much work in the weekends lately. No. And were you were you working in a bar directly before this recent shutdown or Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. and are are lots of places closing down? Yeah, the, I think the second wave has really hit the industry hard in uh, in uh, in the Netherlands and uh, in Rotterdam in particular. I see a lot of, I know everybody in the business, and I know uh, a lot of people that have been had had to close their place after only been open for a year or two years. So they haven't been open long enough to really like work up a nest egg or anything. Mm-hmm. And just like you mentioned before, they're also not getting a lot of help from the government over here. So. Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, the service industry has been a bit of the scapegoat for this whole issue. Like, I think we all want to get by it and past it, but uh, it's got to be a little bit more help for the small businesses. Yeah, absolutely. 
But you didn't uh, you didn't start out or grow up in the Netherlands. You were born in Sweden. Yeah, I was uh, born in Sweden in 1979. Grew up in a uh, uh, in a service industry family. My grandfather always owned a restaurant, and uh, my uh, my mother and my father met uh, while working in restaurants and. They were big party people in the 80s, so uh, there was, I was always hanging around restaurants or uh, at you know, parties in their house. And I, I kind of loved to, I, I grew up loving the industry and loving to be host of the party. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's a good way to put it. Do you feel like the that that's sort of how you see your role as like a bartender or a server is like hosting a good party? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my my main role, of course, uh, I love making the drinks, but I think my main role is making sure everyone's having a good time. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's, uh, we've had a couple other people with a similar um, perspective on the industry. I think it's a good way to look at it. It's also a nice way to make it feel like not so much a job and more like just something you're enjoying to do that you also make money at. Yeah, exactly. Then it feels more like I'm welcoming a new crowd into my living room every night. Right. Uh, so what what was the first job you had uh, when you first like started working in the service industry? Would this also have been in Sweden? Or... Um, yeah, that was also in Sweden. I guess the first job in the service industry was uh, at a small falafel place, upgraded to McDonald's, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. and then uh, slowly started working in real restaurants and eventually bars. Okay, and so. Um... When you start out, you're uh, like, did you go through the normal progression of like, did you start as like a, a back waiter or, or a bar back? Oh, or... man, I, yeah, man, I did it all. I was a dishwasher, a bar back, a dessert uh, cook, uh, line cook. I, I think I had held almost every low level position you can in a restaurant. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, tell, talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you feel that that helped you or informed your ability to? Um, do the job once you start moving up the ladder a little bit. Oh, you become such a much better team player if you know how everyone's situation looks like every night. Mm-hmm. So I think by working your way up from the bottom, so to say, I mean, now I don't even believe that there's a bottom because we all work towards one goal. But back then when I saw it like that, then, yeah, every time I got into a new role, I understood more of what it took to keep a place running and to make a team work in the same way right. so i really appreciate all the little strange odd jobs i did along the way mm-hmm. and what's the scene like in so what's the city that you were in in sweden um, malmo is the third largest city in sweden which uh, is it's not large by any means right uh, i think we're around three four hundred thousand people in malmo it has a bit of a metropolitan status of, because of its, uh, uh, it's very close to Copenhagen in Denmark, which is a, a couple of million people city. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, only uh, separated by a 10-minute uh, metro ride. Um, but yeah, it always felt like a big city, even though it's not super big. Um, but uh, it has a large ser- service industry. People go out to eat a lot, so we always had a lot of restaurants, uh, a lot of little food places, a lot of nice bars. Is there like so a burgeoning... So- Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. Uh, is there like a sort of a burgeoning um, craft cocktail scene in in Malmo? 
Absolutely. Like, uh, I think when I left, it had died out. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason why I left Malmo, because I wanted to explore more of that somewhere else in a bigger city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lately, when I go back to visit friends and family and things, I really see that there's a couple of really high quality bars and uh, bartenders that take their craft very seriously. So I think it has a place on the world stage. Mm-hmm. Um and what's the what's the general scene like there? Like, what kind? What's the are, are a lot of high end restaurants, or are you getting sort of a little bit of everything? I, it's a little bit of everything, but I would say the best cocktail bars in Malmo right now are uh, like little back pockets or speakeasies of uh, of hotels. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 Um, and is is there a big tourist uh, situation there in Malmo, or? Well, uh, there used to be, yeah. Yeah, right yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess not right now, yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, but we get a fair amount of tourists in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, especially a lot of people that uh, are they're coming to visit Copenhagen and then they take a day trip or a weekend trip over to Melbourne. Oh, okay. I got you. Um, so just trying to get my head a little bit around the scene there in Sweden, what's the tip structure like there? Are you guys, um, is it... A, is it a community where you're taking tips at all, or is it like a pool tip situation? What's the standard? I would say, compared to the Netherlands, um, a lot more tip in Sweden. It's standard to give tip. <laughs> it's more of a you you only you only uh, you wouldn't give tip if someone gives you exceptionally bad service. Otherwise, you will always give Otherwise you get 10 15 percent more. Or if if you feel like you can afford it, and if you feel like somebody gave you really good service. But here in the Netherlands, it's not very common at all. Oh, is that right? Like uh, now, do you guys get paid a higher wage there in the Netherlands to do the job, or is it just no, too bad? Yeah, I mean, compared to what I hear about other places, yeah, I think we get quite a quite a high wage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, but there's no tip, not much. I mean, right. I, there are a couple of times I've worked in hotels, yes, because then you get a lot of tourists from overseas that are used to tipping right. with their tip culture. But here, it's not a big thing. Yeah, see, it's uh, it's sort of a... We just had a uh, an episode last week where we had a roundtable discussing tip culture. So I'm sort of interested in the topic now because in North America, it's still very tip-heavy, but there's a lot yeah. of places that are starting to move to like a no-tip business model. Um, just putting servers on salary and paying them a decent wage and not accepting tips at all. So I'm just kind of interested to see how it's going in other areas of the world. Like, do you find, what do you prefer? Like you went from one place where you're getting tipped pretty regularly to going to a place where you may be making a bit of a better wage, but you're not getting tips. What, what do you think works better? Now I might've been very spoiled growing up in Sweden where yeah, you yeah. both get a, a decent wage and you're used to people tipping. Right. Um, I do, I, I do feel that, uh, tipping somehow inspires me to, to be more, to be more service minded. Like mm-hmm. it is a give and take. If I get tips, then I'm also more, a little bit happier, a little bit more on top, a little bit more on people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a, I think, yeah, tipping should be there. It shouldn't be mandatory, but if someone uh, showed you a good time, then uh, I think it's nice to appreciate Right. Um, so what now, obviously, you got into craft cocktailing pretty seriously at some point. Uh, now, I think you were saying you moved to Rotterdam because there was becoming a little bit less of that. And 
Sweden, where you were. The um, so had you already started? You obviously had started to get into the sort of cocktail game before you left Sweden. Yeah, and I uh, did. Uh, yeah, no, go sorry, go ahead. no, you go. I did, did my uh, cocktail bartender education in Gothenburg, in Sweden, and back then the the school in Gothenburg was really. Uh, it was a really good school that was. Uh, more than these like two months long courses. It was really, it was a year long course. We learned everything there was to know about all spirits. And uh, we had a lot of practice in different bars. And and then I came back to Melmo and I started working uh, in bars there as well. And uh, yeah, there came a moment when I was working as a, as a bar manager at a, in a hotel bar in Melmo. And I had done that for a while and it didn't really feel like I was getting anything out of it anymore. And then I heard about this uh, uh, entrepreneurial education in uh, in the Netherlands. And I had already tried uh, to open up a couple of my own restaurants with varying results. <laughs> <laughs> They're all varying, trust me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. especially, especially now. <laughs> so, so I thought, okay, well, maybe I should go and learn how to become a better entrepreneur. Hmm. And uh, so I, I came to the Netherlands and uh, started doing the education here. So I dropped out of the industry for a little while because I was studying. And then, uh, yeah, as always, slowly crept back into it. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Now, uh, a quick question. When you went back to school there, was that, did you have to pay out of your own pocket for that? Or was that covered by like a government or? Uh, I had to pay it out of my own pocket uh, because it was a kind of a, Special, uh, well, just special education or an education that was outside of the normal education system. Gotcha. Normally, if you're Euro- European, you don't have to pay for right. to take another European education. But in this case, I did. Luckily, I sold my apartment in Mo for uh, quite a profit, so I could use that to pay for my education. Okay, I wanted to back up for a little bit here and talk about the uh, the sort of bartending course you went to because we don't have anything like a year-long course yeah. here so it's like you said most of them are a month or two maximum a couple weeks something like that um so talk to me a little bit about what the value you got from that one year long program and maybe speci- specifically what you think you learned there that like or a couple things that you can really drill down on that have helped you after you finish the course i think I think what I usually tell people that I appreciate the most there, because I've I talked to other people that have done other kinds of uh, education, and and many of them it's more like okay, here's the top hundred classic cocktails. We want you to learn these recipes, and of course we also had to learn some classic cocktail recipes. But it was much more about learning about all the different spirits, and then figure uh, then learning how to figure out good balance. Mm-hmm. So it, the focus wasn't so much on recipes as Okay, if you have this thing that's acidic and you have this thing that's bitter, what do you think would make a really good mix? So we learned to think like cocktail chemists right. <laughs> or something. Yeah, or chefs, right? Like that, I think. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's super valuable because that's certainly not something they teach in the courses here. Like the, the courses that we get here, are these like shorter ones, and it really just teaches you the basics, like you said, and maybe some of the classic cocktails or like. Yeah, but really they're teaching you like how to shake a cocktail, how to mix, how to stir one, how to, you know, like the real yeah. basics. So yours is kind of almost more like a WSET course. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's interesting. Which I, I recognize now when I'm back at WSET during the, during the lockdown here. Yeah. What better decided, time to do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I decided to go for the level three and, uh, 
go full on learn everything and it's uh, <laughs> it's it's very it's very heavy yeah it is uh let me ask you about that because um I know in level three, there's lots of uh, blind tasting, et cetera. Um, how, so normally you would be doing that in a classroom. And like when I did the W set, we were having um, like you, part of the fun of it was you're learning about the wine as you're, as you're learning and studying in the book and studying about regions, whatever. You're also getting to taste the wine that comes from those regions, et cetera. So how does that work when everybody's not in a class together? Well, I think the the school I'm taking it from a place called the Mixing Class in London, and I think they sorted it out really well. They sent us all sixty samples in the mail. Oh wow! And then yeah, we do it uh, we do it over Zoom, and uh, just like you say, when when we talk about a certain spirit, like today we were talking about uh, Baijiu, then there's a couple of bottles of Baijiu that we can taste and talk about the differences between uh, yeah the different production methods and such. Mm. So I oh. think they worked that out pretty well. Yeah, it sounds like it. I didn't even realize that they would be getting into mailing you samples. I was, I was worried that they would just be like, well, go buy this. And <laughs> yeah. yeah and but then, that was it for level two. But that, I, yeah. took that from, I took that from the, yeah, from the organization, WSCT, and then I had to go get all the samples myself. Right. Yeah. But so luckily, we're... I know a lot of people in the industry, so I called a distributor and asked, a friend and asked him, hey, man, can you send me some samples? And well, uh... it wasn't a big deal. Oh, that's good. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's super interesting. So, that, uh, yeah, going back to the, the school you were at in Sweden, so it's kind of like that where you're learning about different spirits and how to craft a cocktail, what, what flavors make a balanced cocktail. So when you get out of that and you come back to uh, Malmo, the, are, are you ahead of the game from everybody else who's working there at that point, would you say, or are there other people doing similar stuff? No, at that point, I really was. Yeah, yeah. At that, uh, at that point, I think I was yeah, a front runner. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it was a, a burgeoning cocktail scene, so it didn't take long for for uh, other people to catch up or yeah, join yeah. me on my level. Right, because uh, I mean that's how our game works, right? Like once one place starts doing something at a higher level than you, then it, it's there's so much pressure. I don't know if pressure is the right word, but there's so much excitement to get to the same level as another bar that's kicking ass, like, or another yeah. bartender specifically, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I find we all feed off each other in a way. It's like, if, if it's so-and-so at whatever place is doing this, I need to step my game up. Oh, but I love that. I love going into another bar and, uh, and like, peeking over the bar. Oh, you make all your own syrups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. That's right. You'll never find a bartender is, uh, if they can avoid it, sitting at tables. No. <laughs> it's like we all just it's like magnets right to the bar let's see what their setup's like what are they doing back there is this place yeah, man, I, get so many, I get so many ideas like that as well yeah, yeah. and so i i mean the, one of the things about being in europe is that everything's so close together so did you do a lot of traveling around to check out different bars in different countries also yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, I've, I've been uh, done a lot of traveling in europe Always try to uh, wherever I go. I always try to figure out what's the best cocktail bar I can go to and mm -hmm. go there. And I always introduce myself as a bartender. And then you always get treated with, like, hey, come, then we're gonna show you everything, and let me pour you some of this. And we made this this morning. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a fun community to be part of. That's great. We need more of that. There's not enough of that in North America. I think people are very people can be. There is some. Don't get me wrong. Like if I go down to the U.S. or whatever when that was the thing you were allowed to do. Um, the, 
Uh, yeah, if I tell somebody I was at a bar, I was a bartender, then they're they're a little happier. They're like, oh, you're from Canada. These are not direct competition, but the, uh, there's much. There's a little bit more of a competitive vibe in North America where they like to be a little bit more guarded of their secrets sometimes. All right. Yeah. So uh, here, here, I feel it's very very collaborative. But I also felt the same when I was traveling in Mexico. That's oh, did you? Yeah. I yeah. Oh yeah, you really went. And- yeah, so you try to talk to people behind the bar. They were really open and oh, cool. You want to come do a guest shift and yeah, and I I met um I, I read in your bio sorry that uh, that was sort of where you found a love for agave. Yep, and also the woman I'm going to marry. Oh, well, <laughs> well, that works out good. Probably the second, yeah. the latter, better than the former. Uh, but talk yeah. to me about agave. What do you love about it? I think. Uh, what amazed me when I first came to Mexico was that I kind of, I kind of thought of uh, uh, tequila and mezcal as like two, two categories or two categories or two liquors. But okay. I discovered that there is so much variety depending on how people harvest, where the plant has been, uh, what kind of plant, how they treat it after. Like there's so many ways to create a completely different spirit. And I, I think I never really realized that before. Maybe here in Europe, we haven't had that much agave spirits. Mm-hmm. So coming there was really eye-opening and, yeah. Yeah, I spent a little time there as well, about four months, and I've discovered the same thing. It was like, it's, it's even it, even from North America, which is obviously very close to Mexico, especially yeah. compared to you, it's like, well, like we knew tequila, but it'd be like forever when I was starting out in the industry, it was just everybody just had Cuervo Gold, and that was, <laughs> you know what I mean, like just or Sousa yeah. or some shit like that. And then you realize, That's what we and then, yeah, yeah. And then you slowly discover that all these new tequilas and mezcals, and like, and the different flavor profiles for all of them. It's like it's as complex a spirit as whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think what what I also didn't realize that whenever I came across mezcal over here, it was it was so expensive. And it wasn't until I came there and realized that, oh, but this plant has to grow for 30 years. Right. So while, while it's completely okay that you put a whiskey in a barrel for 30 years and charge hundreds of dollars for it, it was somehow weird to me that a white spirit would cost that much. Mm-hmm. But when you consider how much Mother Nature put into this plant, I understand that it has to have a, a bit of a price tag. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. It kind of re- recalibrates your thinking about it, too, because like you said, we're also programmed to be like, well, you're paying for the barrel aging. But yeah, like Mother Nature ages, too. Right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, she's aging the fuck out of me, I'll tell you that. I feel you, brother. So at some point, you realize you've kind of outgrown the scene in Sweden, you'd like, or, or you'd learned as much as you could there. And obviously, yeah. it seems very clear that you... Or a man who likes the, likes his education. So, what what sparked the move to specifically Rotterdam? Had you heard that there was like a great scene there, or uh, there was uh, specifically this school that I wanted to go to, and uh, the school existed uh, in uh, like three four places in Europe. Then when I started looking into Rotterdam, it just yeah, it's it's such an underdog city. Everyone talks about Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I always kind of uh, rooted for the underdog. So I started reading up more about Rotterdam. And, uh, and it really has, uh, maybe not so much right now, but it really has an amazing nightlife and an amazing uh, scene. Uh, so I was immediately drawn to go to Rotterdam instead of any of the other places I could have gone to. And I 
it was really I decided, and uh, twelve weeks later, I was uh, living here with all my stuff. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, not afraid yeah. to make a move. Um, no. Oh, I did want to ask you too before we get. Uh, I do want to get more into the Rotterdam scene also, but I did want to ask you because you said you had done a lot of traveling around Europe. Um, what What are some of your favorite cocktail bars in Europe? Oh, I know it's a tough uh, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really, really like Paradiso in uh, Barcelona. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. Um, Little Red Door in uh, Paris. Right, that one's pretty famous. Yeah. yeah. And oof, there's always so many, you don't never remember the name of as well, right? Well, what, what about certain scenes? Like, are there certain cities that you prefer the cocktail scene as opposed to other ones? Like... I think I think maybe I think maybe London or Barcelona has some of the best okay. some of the best cocktail scene in Europe. I was like in my early twenties when I went to Barcelona, and so we were pretty much just fucking chugging tequila out of the bottle at like nightclubs at five in the morning because we couldn't believe you, they were still serving. <laughs> but so I missed the whole cocktail scene when I was there. I'd say when I was in London actually, but um, yeah, I need to go back when you're allowed to travel again and do it right and go to proper cocktail bars. But yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Rotterdam specifically. Well, how's the scene there? What's the, like, give us a sort of a, an overview of the bar and restaurant scene in Rotterdam. I think uh, the last few years has been a really exciting uh, time for Rotterdam when it comes to craft cocktails because I think up until very recently that Rotterdam is a worker city. Mm -hmm. So up until very recently, people went out for beer. Okay. That's it. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe it was the craft beer scene that eventually opened up to uh, to uh, so craft brewers opened up for a, a scene of craft distillers and these craft distillers in turn started to open up the craft cocktail scene. So mm. in the last few years, we've seen an explosion of really high quality um, cocktail bars and really skilled bartenders that are doing their best to not only entertain customers, but create some of the best, the most crazy libations I've ever seen. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's interesting, that development. I guess that's probably how it's happened everywhere, but I haven't really thought about it that way. Craft beer is always where everything sort of starts out. And then I guess it makes sense to craft a stiller. Well, if you spend all your time crafting a spirit, well, what do you do with a spirit, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of a natural progression. So you, you're, you're continuing your education. You're in Rotterdam. And we'll probably back it up a little bit. But like, at what point did you know for sure this is what you were going to be doing with your life? I think I always knew, like, it was just, I was running around doing other things. I also do a lot of work in uh, arts and culture. And um, the only time for a few years, the only time I would really make cocktails would be uh, when I would uh, work together with artists to create themed cocktails for their exhibitions and things like this. Okay. Um, because I, I was still getting my, my fix through hosting events and things like that. And it was, I think, yeah, three, four years ago that I went, went back behind the bar and really felt, oh, yes, I'm coming home. This is what I'm, uh, what I'm really here to do. Right. So you did a whole bunch of other things. You educate yourself in yeah. so many different ways, but the bartending aspect of it never really left you. No. Because you're making no. cocktails the whole time. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I've always been into the mixology part of it. 
And I, I, I noticed also that you have, uh, so you, you're also a, have moved this into like a very high social media presence. And I, we've been talking to people about this lately, because especially during the pandemic, a lot of the, obviously the, the, the Instagram cocktailing has seen has exploded because there's a lot of bartenders sitting at home with nothing better to do. Right. So yeah. do you find, do you feel like this is a, another avenue for bartenders at this point to somehow monetize and make a living off just sort of do, like at home cocktailing in any way? Do you see any sort of way oh, to monetize yeah. that? Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm and I'm uh, and I'm really following that in any way I can. I'm uh, everything from like making the, the last few weeks. I post a cocktail on Tuesday and tell people you can order it until Friday. I'll bring it to your door. So I've been doing a lot of home deliveries of my <laughs> my own uh, own made cocktails, mm. uh, but also I've done a lot of uh, uh, promotional work for brands, and uh, there there's many ways that you can. Like if you have a little bit of an entrepreneurial uh, gene like me, you, there's many ways that you can still monetize uh, using Instagram, I think. Right. And so when you took the uh, entrepreneurial course, you're obviously getting some of these ideas as well. Uh, but you originally had with had done it with the idea of opening your own spot again, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. And uh, how did you feel like that course helped? Uh, or did the pandemic sort of blow all the, those plans out of the water or... No, the, the course absolutely helped. Uh, I think uh, the course was more of a, yeah, teaching you how to generally be a better entrepreneur, so to say. I think whatever I would want to do now would work better. Yeah, I just got sidetracked there, like I said, and started working within the arts mm -hmm. for a few years, which uh, I also don't regret because it, it, in, in a way I see it as another part of the hospitality industry as well. Is it still a dream of yours to open a place of your own? Yeah. 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 And uh, so this pandemic hasn't scared you off? Because, I mean, I, if, if you were able to come visit my bar, you might be pretty fucking scared of that idea, right? <laughs> well, I, maybe it sounds a bit uh, evil or something, but I'm kind of seeing this as an opportunity because a lot of places will close. Mm -hmm. And when this all blows over, if it all blows over there will be a large demand for new places. Yes. And maybe the rents will be a bit lower. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that. I sort of have the same idea. It's like, I, on one side, I'm like, I just try to keep the place I've got now open. And that takes a lot of work. But you're also thinking like, so this is a kind of a good time to start thinking about another place, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, okay, I also want to talk about, uh, because my place is a rum bar, the... You have, you also have a love of rums. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's talk about all the rums. Is that what it's called? All the rums. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a little project that started uh, during the first uh, lockdown here in March. Okay. Um, because I think this one we saw coming, but the other one, uh, the first lockdown, really happened overnight. Like I was working Friday, and then all of a sudden I couldn't go to work on Saturday. Yeah. And I had no idea what to do. Um, of, uh, a week before that, I had attended uh, a kind of a rum masterclass from uh, the, um, a very knowledgeable man here in the Netherlands called Andrew Nichols. He also has his own uh, rum brand called the William George Rum. Okay. Uh, and uh, I got really inspired during this masterclass, and I thought, well, it, I've always known that I that rum is my favorite uh, spirit, so why don't I take this time to learn more about it? 
Mm. Um, so I went on Amazon and I bought a, a whole ton of books and started reading. And then, uh, of course, I got to buy a bunch of rums. So I bought a bunch of rum. And then a friend of mine said, well, why don't you make a separate account where you just review all these rums and kind of we can follow you on your rum journey. And yeah, that's that's how it went. Oh, well, that's great, because I didn't know about it until I got your bio, because I obviously followed your your regular, your regular Instagram account, but that the, yeah. and we do at the industry podcast, but the, um, I didn't know about the rum thing until you sent me the email. So uh, talk to me a little bit about what are the best books for what, what books should I be buying for my rum bar? The, the Curious Bartender's Rum Revolution, really good yeah. one. Okay. Uh, what I really like about this is that he really goes a bit deeper into all the distilleries and all the different islands and countries. Uh, so you know, mo- uh, most rum books that I bought are like half cocktails, but I know those cocktails already. Right. But this one really focused more on um, distilleries and their individual marks and uh, how the industry works as a whole, which I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then there's Dave Broom's uh, Rum the Manual, where... Uh, he talk, there's more about the history of rum and how it became such an such an important commodity and uh, yeah the whole how it more or less fueled the slave trade for a while and uh, built a lot of uh, America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is true. The um, I, what I what I discovered about rum because I'm sort of a whiskey guy and mm-hmm. then. Oh, we, I saw a need for the rum bar in our town when we didn't really have one. And so I was like, okay, there's an opportunity. Then I started getting really into it. And what I was surprised is like, much less we were talking about tequilas and um, mezcal, the rum is a much more complicated spirit than most people give it credit for. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's such a huge category. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. of the many different places in the world where they use completely different production methods and and some people complain that rum doesn't really have any rules, but that's maybe also what makes it really awesome. I agree. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that we should be open to all of them. Like, it's nice that whiskey has such specific rules sometimes because, you know, OK, if I'm buying this type of whiskey, this is what I'm going to get or whatever or whiskey from a certain region. But I kind of like the, the sort of Wild West aspect of the of distilling rum as well. Yeah, same here. So, what's your favorite rum at the moment? Uh, I well, I think this is I, I'm newer to it, so you can I, you, this probably is going to seem pretty basic to you, but uh, like I've just been getting really down on that Don Papa. Mm-hmm. Um, nice the, stuff from the Philippines. Yeah, it's it's hard to get yeah, yeah. here, so that makes mm-hmm. it uh, from the it, Philippines. Yeah. It's super, yeah. it's super amazing. It's got like 15 different flavors going on in there. It's, oh, wow. uh, yeah, and it's, it's kind of hard to get in, at least in Ontario right now. So uh, that all, I don't know, something about, it's just like any, like if you're a record collector, any record, like it's some, at some point it becomes almost less about the sound of the record and more about how difficult it is to find. Yeah, <laughs> But that, you get that way in spirits as well. What, what are some of your favorites? Because you've got more experience with it than I do even. Uh, well, tonight I'm uh, drinking... Uh... A blend from uh, Compagnie des Antes called uh, Tricorn, oh, wow. uh, which uh, symbolizes the or the tricorn is the the pirate hat, of course, mm-hmm. and it symbolizes the three main different styles of rum on the on this planet: the um, Indonesian kind of rum uh, or arak, the French style of uh, rum agricole, and uh, molasses-based rum. And 
what they've done here is blend all three into one funky mess. Oh, cool. That yeah. is good, I'm assuming. Yes, <laughs> it's very nice. <laughs> uh, talk to me, how do you feel about cachaca? Oh, I, uh, I think uh, I need to try much more. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's hard to find very many brands, at least where we are. Uh, we're um, sort of controlled by something called the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, and they're a real fucking pain in the ass to deal with. Uh -huh. They only bring in what they want. And we, if you live in Ontario, that's the only place you can buy liquor from. So, uh, I, you know, in where you're in Rotterdam, like individual specialty shops will bring in whatever they want. But we don't live under those. We live under a dictatorship here <laughs> for our liquor In Sweden, actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. in Sweden, the, the government uh, buys in all the liquor. And you can only go to the government liquor store until 6 o'clock in the evening, and then it's closed. Until yeah, 6? 6, wow. Well, it's quite a fucking racket, though, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, uh, so Kachasa, the one thing, the reason I brought it up is because I've been getting into it a little bit more recently, is the, it's such a funky spirit. Like, yeah. the, uh, the nose uh, on the palate and the finish, it's just, like, straight, like, earth and funk and... And it kind of reminds me, even though they're completely different, of the difference like we were talking about earlier with Mescal. Mescal's got that really smoky characteristic that mm -hmm. you're that you don't get in like a in a tequila. And Cachaca is almost like the, even though they, the the obviously taste completely different and the smells different. It's kind of Cachaca is almost the Mescal of the rum class. Oh, I, I agree absolutely because of the like. I would say because you can really taste the terroir, the yes, the, the, right. the actual plant. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like drinking. Like... That's why I think, uh, for example, uh, one thing I noticed as well compared to tequila that uh, not a lot of mezcal is aged. Because right. when I talk when I talk to different producers in in and around Oaxaca, when I was there, they said, "No, why would we age it? Then you completely lose the vegetal quality that we're looking for." Right. I, and I, I don't know, this, some of this comes from taking courses as well and developing your palate, but I, I am just all about the, what you just mentioned, the, the earthiness, the terroir of a spirit or a wine, like, I, like the wines of Priorat or like where they yeah, have yeah, that, yeah. like that real terroir um, smell and like almost like a green olive to them. And like, yes. just, yeah, the funkier, Absolutely. the better, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, can, I can recommend a Mexican rum called Paranubis. Oh, okay. If you can get a hold of this, this really is super funky, very grassy, vegetal, olive quality to it. Oh, uh, I love it. Everybody, everybody I show it to can, it's like a completely new rum experience. Oh, damn. I'm going to put it in my phone. Say it one more time. Paranubis. Paranubis. Uh, okay. I'm going to make sure. Well, also, there's a, we have a spot, uh, sort of specialty spot in Calgary, Alberta, which is across the country from us, but they will ship it into us, unbeknownst to the LCBO. So, oh, no. <laughs> so that's, that's our best chance of getting anything in here. Or before, we used to be able to go into the U.S. and bring it back, but uh, those, yeah, those, right those days yeah. are behind us right that's now. It's going to be a lot of time. So you yeah. were... Coming back to the, uh, to the cachaca, yeah, I really yeah. wish uh, I, I get to try more soon. Uh, I find it a really fascinating spirit, and up until recently, I had only tried the three, four uh, most uh, commercial brands that make it out of Brazil. But now we're getting a lot of uh, really high quality brands here in the Netherlands as well. Oh, yeah, that's great. Because we, yeah, we're pretty much stuck to like we get Leblon and we get uh, Pitu. And, uh, but Pitu is not very good. No. <laughs> Le Leblon is uh, decent, though. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but that's becoming hard to get as well now. And we like, um, there's nothing like a good Capri Hina. 
So, <laughs> but you got to have the cachaca. The only, yeah. Yeah. So we've run out of it. We've been using this um, rum a little bit called Banks. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I think it's a Bacardi brand, but it's uh, their, their, their gimmick is like they have Banks 5 and Banks 7, which you think would be an age statement. But it's not. It's like they take five different rums and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The five yeah. island and the seven island blend. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard about it. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, I, the, I the five is pretty cool because it does have a little bit of funky quality, so you can almost sub it for a cachaca. The seven is kind of tastes like they slammed a bunch of rums together and then added caramel. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how you get that's the one thing like when really shitty cheap rum when you get that kind of just synthetic caramel flavor to everything or they just yeah. kind of added it at the end to make it taste like dark rum <laughs> yeah oh it's awful I, if you're looking for good funk though then uh, i can also recommend uh, anything coming from uh, haiti uh, oh, okay. haitian rum yeah or claren mm -hmm. that's some that's some really funky stuff it's a little bit pricey but if you can get a hold of it well worth it Okay, I'll take a look at that. See, this is these are why we have these podcasts so yeah. I can uh, can make my bar better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, talk to me about the bar you were working at um, right before the shutdown here, um, and uh, like, yeah, well, just maybe describe the bar a little bit for us. Yeah. Uh, so uh, right now I'm working at a place called Mavis here in Rotterdam. Uh, they opened up in December, and um, uh, I. I knew one of the owners from uh, earlier, and when I heard that there, because he also owns a nightclub across town, and then I heard that uh, he was going to open a little speakeasy type uh, cocktail uh, bar, so I immediately called him and said, "Are you still looking for people?" Oh, actually, we're still looking for someone to run the bar. <laughs> so they they hired me to uh, head up the bar, and which it, it's always a fun thing to do when you get get to decide the bottles that you're going to buy in and you get to design the menu and everything. So uh, I, I was already working at another hotel bar, but when I got this opportunity, I switched immediately there. We open in December and uh, of course, uh, January is a, never a great month in the service industry, mm. but we were just starting to like make real profit and have big crowds coming in when the first lockdown hit in uh, the middle of March. Yeah, fuck. And then uh, we were down until June. Uh, I think it was the first week of June that we could open up again, which was a blessing because at least we got to take uh, advantage of the summer. And uh, what the city of Rotterdam did to kind of, or not compensate, but to help uh, bar owners was... Um, everybody got to have a, a much larger terrace. Right, yeah, that's what we had here too, yeah. Yeah, so we had a ginormous terrace and uh, we could really use the whole summer to uh, try to build it back up again. And then as soon as we started to really work again, uh, second one. Second wave, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's frustrating. Um, so getting back to what you're talking about, because I agree, like I've opened a couple places, I've managed a couple places before that, and the most fun thing about opening a place because there's a lot of fucking shit that is very not fun about that trust me <laughs> is uh, the, uh is the development of the your back bar and your cocktail list and your wine list and so uh, i like to ask people this on the show who've done that talk to me what goes what do you think goes into making the perfect cocktail list what 
Oh, you're trying. I mean, at least I'm trying to first of all create a concept that goes with with the re, with the concept of the restaurant. So you want to be uh, looking at what are we serving, what food are we serving, and things like that. But then, um, because we're more of a cocktail bar than a restaurant, um, I guess we worked a little bit the other way around. That it was more up to me to think of the the menu, and then the the kitchen would try to match that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, when you when I'm always I've always been like first of all I never put any um, classic cocktails on the menu. I just if people ask me about them, I can make them. Right. And I and I will and I will teach my coworkers how to make them as well. We don't need to have them on the menu. But I like to have a small menu of maybe twelve to sixteen cocktails. Try to make something that's uh, for everybody. So there's both the 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 fruity and fresh uh, cocktails as long as, along with the more bitter and uh, like liquor heavy cocktails and some sesky things and to really cover a broad spectrum within the same concept and uh, we wanted to work with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of local brands and a lot of local uh, produce um, yeah and it, it was really fun journey pulling all that together into a menu that really worked and that really got people excited about coming back yeah that's good I'm, i really like the. i mean that's kind of the sort of farm to table version of a cocktail list right like th that's become a big thing here in north america is uh, on food menus there's like local ingredients local ingredients but you don't see as many bars going that way because you know, and i think part of the to be perfectly honest, there's a lot of bars when they first open, they, they're strained for cash and they're just looking for deals. Yeah. And the deals are never going to be the local guys because they got to make a living too. <laughs> like it's always the big brands who can offer yeah. you like a case deal or whatever. So, but I'm glad. We are by far not a pioneer in this or anything. There's, there's one bar here in the city, uh, Aloha Bar, where the, the bar manager there. He has really made an effort to turn it into a no-waste bar. Oh, uh, cool. They're, they're turning all kinds of kitchen waste into syrups and kombuchas and uh, things, and they don't use any garnish, but they still manage to make it look really amazing. Uh, so, yeah, we try our best, but uh, there are some people out there that are taking this uh, sustainability concept to a very cool level. Well, it might be the way of the future at this point because... Yeah. The bars do have so. their bars and restaurants are going to have a lot less money for a long time now. Yeah. So. And uh, one way that we tried to do it was uh, instead of throwing away a bunch of uh, citrus, for example, we would re instead of uh, doing uh, lime wheels or lime wedges, we would use the discarded uh, uh, lime as uh, the garnish, or we would dry things and use as garnish and try to throw away as little as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, de that, I think that's kind of how dehydrated um, fruit garnish really became sort of a thing after a while, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, that's cool. And so, uh, in you were saying Rotterdam in general, it's a bit more of a worker town, a blue collar type uh, place. But generally now there are a lot of the craft cocktail scene sort of exploding there. Um, yeah. What are some of your other places to drink there? Oh, uh, if you come here, you should go to uh, I, one of my absolute favorite places to go is called the Ruma. And it's a, uh, you can call it a rum bar, but um, 
the guys themselves, uh, Eddie and uh, Daryl, that own it, they call it a cocktail pub. And that's exactly what it is. You come in and it really looks like an, like an old pub, but they only have cocktails. Oh, that's and, great. So, and, they, and they serve them really no frills, often no garnish. Uh, but uh, they're focused on rum, and they make and they really focus on this uh, uh, what do you call it feeling of a living room that I talked about before. You come in there and you're you're at their place, right? And uh, I, this this place, and both of them are really good, um, really advanced mixologists, actually. But they were just tired of the scene becoming more and more difficult and more and more. Uh, um, Pretentious? Yeah. Pretentious, there we yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, so they just, yeah, we were going to open a very simple place and we're going to make a few really awesome cocktails and we're just going to focus on making a nice vibe in our place. If you come to Rotterdam, you have to visit the Roma. All right. Well, hopefully one day we'll all be able to travel again. We'll <laughs> I'll definitely do that. But yeah. uh, So what else goes into making that? What else do you think goes into sort of providing an experience for your guests of like it being a living room besides just the... Um, the drink list and like like what is it? Is it ambience? Does that matter? Does it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Ambience matters, and I think the most important uh, part of ambience is the the team. You got to have fun with your team. Mm-hmm. If if you're having fun behind the bar, people connect to that, and they're going to have fun on the other side of the bar as well. Yeah, you can tell when you walk into a place where the staff's not really having a good night, or they don't get along that well. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. No, so you, you you need to show people that that we have a good time and you're welcome to join us any if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do want to talk to a little bit. We'll let you go soon. Uh, I want to touch a little bit about what you're doing with the delivery cocktails, though. Like, are are there specific? So, for instance, if we were going to do that in Ontario, there'd be 15 different rules laid out for us about how to seal them, how to like, or, or the LC, uh, the AGCO would be right up our ass so are there any rules that you guys have to deal with in Rotterdam or can you really just make a cocktail in your house and then just bring it to somebody shit there are tons of rules but uh, <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing it really low key I'm just uh, I guess uh, most people that watch my Instagram they know that yeah this is Alex and he does things in a really informal and funny way so uh, I haven't really applied for any permits I haven't really worried about any of that i yeah I, and so i i just found a, found a place to get some nice uh sealable bottles and uh, then i i wash my hands and get going yeah yeah <laughs> that's cool so <laughs> so like when you say a sealable bottle is it like a cork thing or like i'm just interested in the process of it like screw top. top yeah yeah yeah. Uh, okay. uh, yeah so what i yeah what i do i i, I take orders all week and then uh I, at some point the orders have to stop coming in and then i tally up uh, everything i have to uh run out and buy to make the cocktail of the week on friday morning and then i then i'm biking all across town buying all the things i need and then back home and mixing 20 30 40 bottles and then biking all across town to deliver all these cocktails to people and, oh wow <laughs> and uh, at, at some like it was growing so much that now I'm taking a couple of weeks off because of the WSET, but it was growing so much that I thought uh, maybe next week I need someone to help me deliver it. But I can't do that. Like what people expect is that I show up at their door with the cocktail. Oh, right. Yeah. So I just have to become more efficient at it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or hire someone to make all the cocktails and you just deliver them only. Yeah. 
That could also work. That could but also I think, work. I, I, but I think people want my personal touch. I yeah. think I would imagine that's you run into the same problem there. They see you making them on Instagram, and that's the, they want the whole they want the whole Alex Danger experience. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's super cool, man. I hope it works out. I know we all got to get creative um, during this time. So tell us um, a little bit about uh, where everybody should be following you on Instagram because you're doing a lot of cool shit there. If you're really uh, into craft cocktails or just want to see me taste a lot of cocktails and have fun with that, uh, you can follow me on uh, Dangerous Drinks, um, which is also coincidentally the name of my cocktail consultancy business, where I do all kinds of things like uh, workshops and uh, uh, rum tastings and uh, even deliver cocktails nowadays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you're more interested in uh, in rum and want to see me review a bunch of really nice rum, then you can follow me at uh, All the Rums, also on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be picking up that one for sure because yeah. I got some. I to get some uh, good new stuff for my bar. Perfect. But yeah. Yeah, and we'll put all the links to all those uh, Instagram sites and websites in the show notes. So if anyone's looking for that, just check down, scroll down the bottom of the notes. Yeah, and uh, I think you're a cool dude, man. It's great to, It was great talking to you. Thanks for doing this. And um, I know it's a lot later there than it is here. So, <laughs> so no, like, yeah. Also, thank you guys for doing this. Both thank you for inviting me and thank you for, for having a show like this where you talk to industry professionals and uh, just discuss how it is. And uh, I think sometimes, uh, yeah, it's really nice to hear uh, that other people are going through the same uh, difficulties and other people are having the same uh, the fun and yeah, it, yeah. it helps us feel like a community yeah thanks man that's what we're trying to do so i'm glad that's getting across we appreciate it much. we really appreciate you doing this and good luck with everything and we'll be following uh, all your cocktail adventures thank you guys i'll follow you. you as well okay thanks, thanks again Alex. have a good night good night